This episode's guest is Rob Jacobs from Outlaw Strength. As an international lecturer and coach and published author, Rob has spent the last 21 years as a strength and conditioning coach. He has coached professional athletes, physique and bikini competitors, strongman athletes, and title holders and world champions in mixed martial arts. Rob has worked with a diverse range of athletes, coaching Olympians and medalists in the sports of soccer, national champions in track and field, and NFL athletes from the Bengals, the Giants, and the Vikings. Proudly, he has coached over 31 athletes in multiple sports to NCAA Division I scholarships. Rob has been coached and mentored privately by the late Charles Poliquin. He has spent years studying directly under Charles and other acclaimed coaches like Lawrence Seagrave in track and field, Boris Shako in powerlifting, Judd Logan in track and field, Derek Woodsky, Andre Benoit, and functional medicine doctors, Dr. Robert Silverman and Dr. Bob Rakowski. Throughout his time in coaching, Rob has spent time as a head coach for track and field events, such as the hurdles, triple jump, and long jump. He's currently an active strongman competitor who has competed at the USS National Championships. On this episode, Rob and I discuss Rob's background, Charles Poliquin's influence on Rob. We discuss Rob's training system. I asked Rob for his thoughts on Charles' biosignature. How did Rob get introduced to Jack Cruz's work? And finally, we discuss client buy-in. Guys, this was a great conversation with Rob, and I hope you really enjoy it. Okay, Rob, thank you so much for making time. So just to start us off, who are you and what do you do? Uh, so I am a strength coach. Um, been a strength coach for the last 22, 23 years. Um, work with a whole bunch of different athletes. The last 10 years or so really started getting into uh, competing in strongman, coaching a lot of strongman athletes. Um, made it to the national championships with that. And um, I guess probably most importantly, I've started with Charles Poliquin uh, 15 or so years ago um, and got the chance to, uh, you know, to get, I guess, in the inner circle, uh, with him and get to know him and, and actually be able to call him a friend, uh, by the time it was all said and done. And apparently was his actual last, like personal private training client. Um, so that was, uh, you know, it was the last guy he took on and got the chance to work with him for three or four years, uh, you know, talking to him every day really closely. So that was uh, a tremendous experience. And then the last, uh, gosh, five or six years, I guess, really into the, the whole circadian biology thing. Um, you know, we got a, a lot of common interests on that. And now that Charles has passed, uh, it's really a mission to, you know, make sure his name does not die out and make sure that everyone knows that all the, the great contributions that he's made to, to my industry, um, you know, that I love so much and the field and the business, you know, that I love so much. And then trying to you know, anticipate where I think he was going. Um, you know, a lot of us that were there for the last, uh, at the grand opening of his facility, which was, gosh, I think maybe only two weeks or so before he passed away. Um, you know, he gave a, a talk about, I don't know, 10 hacks for your brain or, you know, something, something short like that. And, and the vast majority of those things were, you know, natural light first thing in the morning and, and a whole host of things, you know, four or five years ago, mind you, you know, not long after circadian biology was a thing, like it wasn't, 
it wasn't on popular podcasts and and Huberman and all that shit. Uh, you know, back then nobody really knew what it was. Everybody just thought it was Chinese medicine kind of, you know, at that point, nobody really knew that much about it. Um, so just trying to, to incorporate all of that stuff and all of the, you know, fascinating things people like Jack Cruz have, have made more part of the mainstream now and, and how we can actually apply that to Charles's work and, and just keep that legacy alive and keep it going and, and make sure everybody knows how valuable he was. Yeah. I, um, I took my PICP like 2009, took level one and two. Do you know Owen Lacey, do you? Or John Connor? Uh, I know of them. I've, I've never met them, but I, I have uh, interacted with uh, John a couple of times, but never, never met either one of them. Yeah. They used to teach for Charles. I, I yeah. you're, you're good. You're good friends with uh, Andre. Are you? Uh, yeah. I've, you know, you know, I've known, known him for quite some time. Yeah. 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 No, yeah, he coached me uh, for. What was that? Go, no, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, it's just to say he, he was coaching me for two years or so for one competition. Uh, you know, cause after Charles died, it's like, well, like, where do you go to, to be coached after that? <laughs> you know, there was like, there was no step forward after that. So, uh, uh, on, you know, I reached out to Andre and, and got him to work with me for a competition, try to learn some more stuff. And, so that was a that was an interesting experience too. Yeah, Charles in fairness to him, like course, like 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 any sort of figure, you know, he had his lovers, he had his haters, if you want to put it that way. But <laughs> you you like undeniable his contribution. Like with Louis, who just recently passed there too, like, you know, had his lovers, had his haters, but you can't deny the contributions men like that made to the field. Like, I mean, it's funny, like if if you look nearly at any top S&C coach program, there's always a bit of Poliquin in it, whether it's, you know, if there's rest intervals put down, that's Poliquin. If there's tempo, <laughs> if there's tempo, that's Poliquin. If there's an A1, A2, that's Poliquin. You know what I mean? You yeah. Know, you know, all this, like, I mean, Charles was was very um, revolutionary in that aspect. Now, I know Ian King as well, also kind of around that same time was coming out with tempo and rest periods, but I, I was first introduced more so to Charles like but um yeah he's definitely we definitely owe him a, a lot of gratitude I, I think what like like I've had this conversation with Jack Russo I think it's because and I often saw this with Paul I often, well I often do still see this because he's still alive but Paul Check is that like guys like Charles and then guys like Paul and then even guys like Jack they have unreal information they've got so much to give but then there's times where like they just throw in a bit of a spoof <laughs> <laughs> they, 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 they come out with something absolutely outrageous and you're like that's horseshit and see the problem is then if if that's the only bit of information somebody's heard from them they go they're full of shit and it's like no 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 that's like five percent you just see now <laughs> look look at some of the other stuff you know what i mean it's just like right. it's like it's like gang it's like you know interpretation of the bible it's like you pick up the bible and go this is horseshit and it's like well like you know there's some okay things there if you interpret it this way like, <laughs> yeah there's a lot of horse in it too like it's like anything you know but i think that that was always the thing that used to be like like even with Paul, like like i think paul checks fucking hilarious at times and and again there's times where like he's gone on about like spirituality and self-development and i'm like you know i'm like yeah yeah i think you know i can get into this but then he come out and just say something completely left field like with no objective evidence and say it as if it's 100 fact when really it's just his opinion like and just because, like, <laughs> you know, and then if he has people who are really into him, they won't question it. Whereas you get other people who you're trying to introduce his work and they go, no, I can't get into this fella if he's going to say stuff like that. And it's just kind of, <laughs> you know, so I kind of used to put people off to a degree. And I was saying the same to Jack Cruz. I was like, Jack, you know, your information is unreal, but 
the way you package that information puts off a lot of people. And he goes, I know, I know. He says, it's something I need to work on, but you know, it's just, it, it is. <laughs> the similarities with some of those guys like that is, it, you know, it's hilarious. Cause Charles, you know, Charles is the same way. Like when you actually like, you know, work with him, right. Like one of the, I, one of the stories I always tell is when, we, when I first started working with him, I was on a four day in a row, one day off split. First time I'd ever done that, you know, and neurotransmitters and all that stuff. And, and that had my workouts fall on like Saturday, Sunday sometimes. And, you know, gosh, for the last 20 years at that point, I was like a Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, you know, schedule, like forever. I hate working out on Sundays. And I was talking to him about it. I mean, within the first two or three weeks, and I was like, look, I, you know, I, I schedule does this. I hate training on Sundays, but if I need to do it, that's fine. Just tell me I need to do it. And, you know, whatever you say, I'll get it done. And he's like, there's no point training on Sundays. If you're having a shit workout. We'll just change your schedule, you know, and it like that moment right there was like, oh, so because it, it, I think people don't understand with, with a lot of them, at least with Charles. I, I don't know so much with, you know, the biology and all that stuff with with Jack, but with Charles, it was it was just a set of principles. And he was so much like like Bruce Lee's Jeet Kune Do, you know, stuff, right? Like you pour water into a glass, it becomes a glass, pour it into a bowl, you know, it becomes a bowl. And, and his principles were the water. And each individual person was the glass and the bowl. And like, he, he recommended a supplement for me that was pre-workout and it put me to sleep. I was like, Oh, okay, well, we're not going to do that. You know, it wasn't, he wasn't as rigid as people think. Um, Cause I, I do consulting for a lot of coaches that were taking classes with them and I'll tell them something different when I write their programs, like, Oh, that wasn't what I learned in class. Like, yeah, no shit. Cause he was teaching a class of 30 coaches that work with, you know, hundreds of different populations. This is what you need for your program. Does it have anything to do with anybody else? Like, yeah, there's a reason it's different. This is for you. So I think that's, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that people need to know more about him is, you know, like he, he would do steady state cardio for some people that needed it as much as he talked about despising it. If you were a physique competitor or a bikini competitor, he would help you count calories and, and do things like he talked about despising. And, you know, it's with any of the, the great, especially in the, on the coach side, you know, any of the great ones are going to be malleable like that. And it, it's one of the reasons I think why he had so much success across such a broad range of sports and, and athletes. It, you know, it's so uh, refreshing and it's so interesting how you said it because you see this all like you just said there like Charles like oh my god he did prescribe steady state for someone or he did do calorie because you know because that is that is a sort of stereotype that he's put into like oh he's completely anti like long he's like he just lift weights for fat loss and don't bother counting calories just eat like a caveman so and that's the kind of rhetoric people throw back in your face listen to that but like it's kind of like you don't know until you're actually with that person day to day and work because it's the same with Charlie Francis everyone's like it has to be high late, high day followed by low and then high notes. Like, <laughs> no, if you talk to Derek Hansen, like he actually did some high days back to back. Like, oh my God. Like, you know what I mean? He's like, yeah. you, could, you could have a high day and then like in the early part of the following day, you could still do a little bit of high work depending on just volumes and stuff. And people are all like, he never, he never did anything between 75 and 95%. It's like, ah, eh. sometimes there were, there was a little bit of intermediate, you know, intensive tempo work sometimes. It's just like, you just don't know until you're actually there. Like, so it's, it's, yeah, it's it's like it's same too. Then Westside people are like, oh, Westside is what I was like. Have you ever gone to Westside like and like <laughs> spoke to Louis and like you know stayed there for a few weeks and observed to see what's actually going on? I was like, no, so you can't really critique it then, can you? Like you're kind of just making right. your interpretation of what you've read. Like, so uh, yeah, no, it's really refreshing to hear that. But how um 
How did you come across Charles? I had a friend who introduced me to his, I want to say it was a German body comp for athletes uh, article, like program that he had put in, I think Ironman magazine or something. Um, And that was the first time I had done anything of his, especially with short, you know, compound lifts with short rest intervals. (laughs) And it was, it was brutal. Um, So that was, that was the first thing, because I think one of, one of his buddies had gotten into Charles and then just, it just sort of got passed down, you know, like, a, like a lot of this stuff does like, Hey, have you, have you ever done any of this kind of training or have you ever used this tempo like this, you know, those, those kinds of things. And from there, it's just like, Holy crap. I did. I didn't know there was so much. I didn't know about, I mean, just to, about so many things, you know, I mean, how he, how he as a strength coach started to incorporate supplements and nutrition and like, quality uh quality based recommendations for supplements and nutrition and like how certain things matter and you know the, the it was just a open my eyes to a whole nother world because really prior to that you know my my biggest influence in strength and conditioning was west side and louis you know and and while that's fantastic it there's a lot of minutiae and detail that are, just aren't really either talked about or, or given, you know, as, as much importance with things like tempo and actually prescribing your rest and timing your rest. And, you know, like the, Louis definitely got his, his minutia that he really, I mean, you know, all these guys do, right. They've got a, a few things that they really care about and really kind of have to harp on like the pendulum waves and, you know, all that stuff. But with Charles, that was the first time I had ever really seen what a really good how broad a really good strength coach's reach could actually be and how much you could change someone's life or, or their quality of life as a, as an athlete or just a general client, you know, in, in terms of timeline, when was that? When did, when you first came across Charles? Do you remember uh, early two thousands, like five, 2005, 2008, somewhere in there. Yeah. 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 And when I was interested, cause like, was he ever like? Was he ever? Was he only ever prescribing the strength aspects of athletes, or did he ever have any say in terms of their overall training load, in terms of their sport? And was he ever doing any energy system stuff in terms of sport, or was it just purely strength and power development? So that he would have, I think it depended on the sport coach um, that you know that he was working with, right? Like I know he had Dwight Phillips. Um, and there were a few other big name guys that he didn't really have any say over their, uh, over their, their track and field work. Um, the, the three wrestlers, the, the female wrestlers that he was working with, uh, shortly before he died, you know, he had, he had input because the, the wrestling coaches, you know, knew of him and, and I think respected his opinion, but in that case, he also knew his place also, right? Like he wasn't their skills coach for wrestling. And he knew that their team USA wrestling coach kind of took precedence over him. So he, he was really, really good with, with people at that level working around their, their sport coach, you know, and, and he had so much experience with, with team Canada. I think up there, just hearing him kind of go through all of the, the stuff that he had with those athletes is that the, the strength coach sport coach relationship up there, at least when he was there, I don't know how it is now. Cause that was, you know, 20, 30 years ago that there was a much closer relationship, you know, down here, it seems so fragmented. 
um, you know, where, where an athlete can go to this strength coach in their off season. And then they have to work with the team USA strength coach when they're staying at the facility. And, you know, these things are like, just, it's very disjointed where it seemed like with a lot of the Canadian athletes, you know, the, the strength coaches were the strength coaches and that was kind of the end of it. And they worked with the sport coaches. You know, he he would talk a lot about uh, some of the skiers Um, in in particular, there was a, gosh, it was, I think it was like, it revolved around training their quads, right? He was, he was initially backing off of their quad training because their performance in the weight room was just crap in season. And, you know, that, that involved him going to the the head sport coach to be like, look, we're not going to train the quads during the season because we don't need to, you know, whereas the interaction there would be like, well, why aren't they squatting? Why aren't they doing this? Why aren't they doing that? Well, because their quads are wrecked every time they show up in here. So we're going to train the ankles and the posterior chain and do the structural balance work. And then in the off season, that's when we train the quads and we'll back off some of the other things. Um, so that, that interaction, like we just, we just don't get a lot of that here. You know, some of the, I had a, a team USA judoka that I helped like rehab her knee. Um, a few years back and you know she was she was a competitor for team usa but only almost in name only you know they like there wasn't a whole lot of interaction there like she 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 did her weightlifting and her strength and conditioning program at the you know judo school she attended when she wasn't in colorado and the the program you know like it was a it was a stand on a swiss ball and do a squat type of program it was just, you know, miserable. I'm like, Oh, no wonder your knees hurt. <laughs> right. It's, and like this, this girl's representing team USA, like give me a break. So there was, yeah, but there was no, you know, there was no connection, right. There was nothing I could do to reach out to this random person at her judo school who wrote their workouts on the whiteboard that everyone at the school did. And there was, and there was no need for me to coordinate with the team USA coach. Cause she was never with him, you know, hardly any of the time anyway. So it's, real disjointed system over here. I don't know how, how much it's like that in, in all the sports, but there's definitely a lot of that, I think more here than in other places. So tell me more then about yourself and, and your own business. Are, do you take clients on? Are you, are you one-on-one? Are you semi-private? Is a consultation? Is there an assessment process, you know, the training design? I suppose basically your, your sort of training philosophy and then the system that that's built in around that. Yeah. So, so right now I'm, I'm kind of 50% training hands-on and then 50% consultations basically. So uh, my, my outlaw strength uh, business is essentially my continuing education for coaches type of type of platform. So that's where I'll do things like with Tim Karen, we've got the the muscle mentorship coming up here in May where we're going to do uh, twice a day training. I'm going to do all the biochemistry circadian lectures. Tim's going to do lectures on training methodology and the vertical integration and all those types of things. And that's, that's my kind of umbrella for all my continuing education, which is, you know, online based zoom based. I, I do in-person internships now that people can actually travel again. Um, you know, I was before the shutdown, I was hosting my own seminars for, for small group, like private seminars and private internships for four or five days. Uh, but as far as in-person goes, that's where I'll do, you know, all the hands-on assessments and we, we use Charles or I use Charles, Charles's methodology, the, the PICP methodology for that, where we go through, you know, structural balance assessment, uh, length tension relationships in the lower body, some length tension flexibility assessments for the upper body. And then we go through, we'll, we'll go through all the, the upper body structural assessments where you're, you know, your external rotation strength should be a certain ratio, a certain percentage of your 
biochromial bench press and your elbow flexor strength should be, you know, a, a particular percentage of that. And the, the biggest new addition in the last 10 years, I would say has been the, uh, neurotransmitter profiling, uh, that, that Charles was really starting to, to make popular, uh, before he passed away. Uh, so we'll do that with the, with the Braverman test. And that's all, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll teach the, I don't teach what Charles taught because I don't think that's right for me to do that. But what I will help coaches understand are, are more so what the neurotransmitters mean for you. Cause there, there was a big, I think there was a big gap there with, with Charles's teaching where, you know, in, in the course it would mostly be, okay, you turned out to be this dominance. Here's how you train that person. And, and that was starting to fall into that box. Like we talked about earlier where it was so rigid and then, because what you'll get into when you start to, to, to run those tests and do those things is there's very few people are dominant in one real, you know, neurotransmitter. The, the test will say you're dopamine dominant or you're GABA dominant. But when you actually start to understand what those neurotransmitters mean for training, you can really customize a program and, and individualize that for that one particular person. And as their deficiencies start to change over time, you know, that's something okay, we will, we can adjust your training now because your, your GABA deficiency is, has improved. So now you'll recover from higher intensity trainings more. So you may have been dopamine dominant to begin with, but you were so GABA deficient, we couldn't hit you with any intensity worthwhile. Uh, so, you know, so that's kind of a lot of the stuff that I, I like to do with my continuing education stuff with coaches is that, and now introducing all of the, the vast array of circadian biology components to the strength and conditioning field. Because uh, before I mean, we just don't have a, we, we don't have a clue, you know, like we, I mean, I didn't when the, I'm sure like, it's like you, but before we learned all this stuff, it's like, all right, well, we're, <laughs> we're existing under probably the worst possible lighting conditions, you know, for eight to 12 hours of our, of our lives every single day. I was the same, you know, same as you, like not getting home till nine or 10 o'clock then having dinner, watching TV all, you know, on my laptop, staring at the phone, blue light, blue light, blue light. And, uh, and now it's, it's introducing all of that stuff. Well, okay, we have to be under this light for 10 or 12 hours. How can we mitigate that? How can we make that environment better? How can we make that environment better for our clients? And how do we start to do damage control, knowing all these things that we now know that these guys like Dr. Cruz have made so, so popular and, and really brought to light that the, the strength community, you know, I mean, rightfully so, cause that's not necessarily our place at first, but there's definitely a lot of things we can introduce, you know? waking up with the sunrise, eating seasonally, how, how you should change your training seasonally. If you, if you are afforded that, if you have a client long enough, you know, there's, I've got some people I've been training for 15 years now, so I can train them seasonally diet seasonally. We can really get into the nitty gritty of that stuff. And, and you can start to see how well those things work when people start to apply them and how we can make those applications to our athletes, even under a time crunch, you know, like Whereas with the seasonal training, the winter time is where we very counterintuitive with the winter time is kind of where you want to be in your caloric deficits and start to get leaner and, you know, all that stuff. But most of us in the, in the, in the body composition realm will save all of that for the summertime. Right. And now it's, it's getting coaches to understand those mechanisms where we can take a client who's, you know, may start with us in July and their goal is to get shredded in 12 weeks where we can accomplish that, but also still start to incorporate seasonality and, and how, you know, deuterium concentrations and, you know, 
certain foods will affect that and, and how eating locally and, and all of those small changes that don't really seem like they would have a huge impact, start to introduce those to the strength and conditioning field and really start to, to, to take our field to the next level. Cause we've got, we've got so much mobility and, you know, all, all this stuff now that it's just like, you know, people want you to come in and warm up and stretch for 45 minutes before you do a 90 minute workout and try to get away from creating a problem just to sell you a solution. You know, the mother nature has got the solutions and, and a lot of them are very inexpensive and don't require you to buy much of anything, just changing your lifestyle. And that's where, you know, that's where I want to start pushing the strength and conditioning field, making more of that information known. So if let's just say I'm a client with you, like hypothetically, so just we can get a little more, I suppose, context. I want to work with you. Where do we go from there? I just say, I just come, Rob, I'm just looking for someone to train. Where do we go? Uh, so, you know, first thing, obviously, if you're in person, we would do a, a biomechanical assessment, right? We go through your structural balance assessments. We'll do some dietary, like recalls, food journals. And I really have, have gotten to the point where I refuse to talk about nutrition and supplements with anyone who doesn't care enough to get blood work done. Um, you know, so that's, that's kind of one of the things where making someone commit to the, a, a little bit further. Um, now we have Charles's biosignature system that he developed that is a decent proxy for blood work. So we don't necessarily need to have blood work done every six weeks to start to look at things. But what we can do is get some baseline labs that, are, you know, very basic stuff, blood sugar and estrogens and all those types of, of hormones and adrenals and, and get a good assessment that way. So we can understand what's going on with the organism, especially for, I mean, really for anyone from, from your general population clients, who just want to look better naked to the, the elite performer. You know, if you've got a, a, an organ system that's not working properly, there are things we can do, not just supplement wise now, but things we can do with light and environment and all those things to, to optimize your performance. So we get the labs done. Uh, then we go through the, the biosignature assessment. And so if you're, you know, if you're not familiar with that, it's a 12 site test. Um, and essentially the, the heart of that is that hormones control regional fat distribution, right? So if, if, you know, I mean, everybody's seen the body types at some point or another, right? The, the pear shaped female with, with big thighs or the, the apple belly shaped male or bat wing triceps, you know, all that kind of stuff. And e each one of those problems traces back to a particular metabolic, uh, dysfunction. So we start with that to identify what your, what your cause is and, and then track down the root cause. And that's where we'll start to introduce lifestyle changes and, and modulate, you know, what your, what your light environment is. And we'll go through all that circadian stuff first to change your, your lifestyle and your environment, and then start to introduce supplement changes and supplement protocols. And, and then as we get into training, you know, we, we move forward from there after your, after your structural assessment sort of tells me what your body deserves to do. Um, you know, cause everybody wants to come in and, and go hard on squats and deadlifts, but you know, if you've got a, a bilateral structural deficit, you may be doing unilateral split squatting and step ups for, for 12 weeks while we fix that problem, whether you're an elite athlete or, you know, a housewife. Great stuff. Um, from other peers in the field, have you ever had much kickback with the biosignature? Because again, and I've just heard like loads of people say it's bullshit. Like, 
Um, and again, usually it's somewhere in the middle of that conversation that it's kind of like loads of people were giving Charles crap about it, like, oh, there's no science suit and he's just making it up. And then other people were, were kind of like, well, like, at least he's trying. Like, you come up with something. You know what I mean? It's kind of like, <laughs> yeah, I was like, well, what, what have you got? And they're like, well, uh, they just want to moan and complain. Like, so, whereas, like, th- there is, fair enough, someone says, listen, like, and again, I think this goes back to how people perceive the biosignature in that he was saying, like, this is a fact. Like, if you've got fat there, you're insulin resistance, and then you got to take this supplement. If you're all oh, big money making scam, and then other, people, <laughs> then other people are saying, no, you know, he's gone to literature and he's made some interpretations and he's trying to come up with something that brings our field forward with something that's a little more systematic and he's trying his best here. Okay, if he presents it in a way that's a bit like this is fact that could be improved upon it on his end. Well, I can't now because obviously rest of the people, but, <laughs> but when he was presented, I think again it was just how it was how it was presented. But so my question is like, have you ever had like those discussions where people go, ah, oh, no, that fucking bio signature is a lot of crap, and you know what I mean? Like how how have yeah. you sort of had that discussion? So the I mean, there's you know just from from knowing him and being associated with it every so often something will come up or an article or a post by someone, you know, shitting all over it will come up. And truthfully, I would say 99% of the time, those instances are someone who's never actually taken the course, uh, you know, which is probably the, the case more often than not in those situations anyway. Right. Because the more you, you start to learn about that, he didn't talk much about how he developed it, which I think was definitely a, uh, a setback to, to getting people to buy into that because the first time I ever heard him talk about that, right. The, it was done in, in a like massive controlled groups because he, because he was from Canada, right. And, and the nature of their government and how their country runs, he kind of like the Russians, he had pretty unlimited access to certain to very large numbers of, of people. Right. And, and he was able to start to corroborate these things. Like he, he would take a piece of literature that says elevated cortisol cause you'd store fat around your belly. Right. And with a 20,000 subjects of, or, you know, however many it was after about 15 or 20 years of developing the system. Uh, cause this was something he started doing in the late eighties, maybe early nineties and didn't really like start teaching till the late early 2000s, I believe, um, you know, so, so he had a massive amount of test subjects and a lot of literature to go along with this, where there's, you know, sh- you know, you can look and find anything that refutes damn near every aspect of, of biology and training and all that stuff. Right. So there's, you're, you're obviously always going to be able to do that, but with all of those sites that you test, uh, I think with the exception of the ones on the face, because those are really just general body fat markers, not necessarily associated with uh, the, with the endocrine system, but with all of the sites that relate to, to a, a hormone or, you know, how a couple of hormones are interacting every time I have ever tried to compare my results to blood work. It has always been what I would expect from the blood work every single time, which you know, cause at first I, I was pretty skeptical too. Right. It was like, Oh, somebody did it. And then they recommended these supplements and I'm like, Oh, I see how this works. <laughs> you know, it's, it's like, okay, I got to take these things for the next, you know, 10 years of my life. And eventually I'll get leaner, but it, it, it's the same kind of thing we were talking about earlier with how, how malleable his, his rules actually were, you know, because you, you do the, 
one of the biggest benefits to that test also is the fact that you can have an idea of what the blood work should look like without having to go through the process of getting blood work. So if I'm training you to step on stage in 12 weeks and I see you four times a week, we can test the body fat procedure every single week and see trends and see what your dietary uh, adjustments and what your lifestyle adjustments are actually doing to some of these areas where you store fat, where you store fat incorrectly. And then that gives us an idea where, all right, we may not have to run this particular protocol for 12 weeks or, you know, whatever. And he actually did a, like the, the, I think what the fish oil stuff is one of the things that it really gets shit on a lot. Cause he real recommended it a ton, but I think another aspect of that, that people don't understand is that he developed, I don't even think that was his idea. He just made it popular. So he did a lot of stuff. Uh, guy's name's Dr. Mark Houston. Uh, I believe he was either at the university of Vanderbilt or somewhere there who had one of the, at the time in the nineties, one of the largest like cardiovascular medicine, you know, businesses or whatever it was. And, and that's where he actually developed, right. Cause just Charles's recommendation was, was a considerable amount lower <laughs> and, and the research that he did with Mark Houston, that's where it was like the, the one gram per percent of body fat or, you know, whatever your particular instance was, didn't even come from him. You know, it came from the, the cardiovascular literature and, and Mark Houston saying, well, this is the dose I'm using in my clinic with all these people who are morbidly obese that have cardiovascular disease. And here's how well it works. It, it was Charles going to these experts and putting all these different pieces together. Uh, you know, like I said, much like that Bruce Lee thing, man, it's like, he's, he's finding what he can take from Louis Simmons and what he can take from the Germans and blending all of that into this sort of foolproof system that he, that he can, that can be so pliable with any individual with any goal. So there, you know, there, there's always been a lot of pushback to it, but it, it's one of those things where I, I understand why you're saying what you're saying about that being doubtful of this methodology, but let's talk a little bit more about where it came from. And maybe that'll make you a little bit less skeptical of this because there is a, a substantial amount of research to back all of it. And the people who apply that methodology properly get phenomenal results with it. Phenomenal. And you, I mean, you can't deny that it's, I mean, there's a 20, 30 year track record now of, of that system working and working incredibly well at the, the highest levels of athletic performance, all the way down to just, you know, 12 week transformations with general population people. Yeah, no great stuff. Well, like I'm just telling you what, like that personal or that question isn't personally for me because that's not kind of how I think anyway. I'm not at either end of the fence on that. Like I wouldn't be like, oh, it's complete hardship, but I wouldn't be like, oh, it's gospel either. You know what I mean? <laughs> but my, my, my sort of my sort of take on on information, uh, like the, the dissemination of information, is that if something is based off what we currently know in human knowledge when it comes to science, if something is like as locked in as possible off the current science that we know and somebody is presenting it as a fact, well, that's fair enough. In that, like, you know, in that, like, based off everything we know right now currently as humans, because there's no way we know everything because that's obviously <laughs> evolution. But based off what we currently know, you know, like fucking probability and, and like, you know, uh, p-values of 0 0.05, like if you get a collection of data and it's like, based of all this data and all the stats that have been run through and the, and the confidence intervals are good. This basically, you know, this is as close to as cause and effect as we can get here. And if they're presenting that as, 
that's that's pretty much a fact i'd be like fair enough but what seems to happen is a lot of us say things that are a fact and it's like that that's not a fact whereas like <laughs> like i have no problem if someone says here is the science that would theoretically prove a mechanism for this but there is no science done scientific research done to actually say that this this is what this is a factor as close to cause and effect right. that's like it's just how people present things is my whole thing you know so even that's like this is my thing with jack too like when jack's talking about like you know quantum the quantum spin on fucking you know, uh, on the, on the first, on the first protein and the inner mitochondria. And I was like, you know, I was like, is, is, is like, is that a fact? Like, do we absolutely 100% know that? And he goes, well, like, I mean, we don't, we can't say anything is a fact, but he's like, he was like within, within biophotonics and physics, he's like, yeah, like, like the, this, this spin he talks about of the heads on the, on the, on the fucking proteins. He's like, yeah, if you talk to like a physicist, they were like, oh yeah, like, those things spin at like you know whatever speeds and hertz or whatever <laughs> you know like stuff beyond my fucking recognition but it's All just right. like when people say and again going back to just using biosignature again it's when like you know this is definitely a fact and it's like but it's not like you, you can't say that that it's absolute fact now what you can say is here is the science of hormones here's literature here's science and hormones interactions with nutrients and chemicals and body types and blah and all that's the kind of pieces of puzzles you're putting together and say i came out with this and I have 20 years of data from myself and students and that. And this is what we've seen. And this is what I'm presenting. Like, I'm like, okay, yeah, that's fair. No problem with that. It's when people come in and say, and this, this, this usually isn't actually the person's fault who came up with the system. It's usually like a student who, who took right. it as fact and then says, oh, well, this is like, you know, I've seen this for like for years. Like I, I used to teach for the FMS, like, and I used to teach the functional movement screen for Gray Cook, like, just like on on courses over here and the amount of times like people say well it doesn't predict injury it's like it's not meant to predict injury <laughs> never the man never said this it's like well he says asymmetry is bad he says no he doesn't he just says gross asymmetry you know if you can stand on your right leg and you keep falling over like a fucking idiot on your right leg that's a problem <laughs> you can do it on your left like gross asymmetry is a problem like and they're just like all these things man. it's just like you know missing missing like giving out complaints about something that it never said it was in the first place and also right. it's just and also what people do is they make up a narrative to or they make up like kind of a story to suit their narrative so that so that it suits their complaint about something you know oh well it's not this and it's like he never said that and he's like well, well you know but well he should have said that it's like it's just like listen you're you're getting emotional and irrational <laughs> because you realize you're wrong and you can't backtrack so now you're, you're digging the hole deeper whereas like if you just came out of your reptilian brain for a second and went to your cortex and just admit it you know what? i'm just being an asshole and i'm wrong you know? <laughs> i'm just i'm just trying to be difficult because i don't know what to do with my life and to feel that i have any significance here i want to complain like most people do right but, yeah so I, i'm rambling here but um, I was going to ask you something else. Oh, so with Jack's work, then if you're going to add on there, you can fire ahead. But I just want to go down before we wrap up because we're only about twenty minutes. Um, how did you was was Jack Jack Cruz's work? Did you come across that through Charles, or did you come across that through yourself, and then start incorporating that into what you what what you do? Yeah, I uh, I I think the first thing I ever heard about Jack was had something to do with wearing sunglasses outside, um, and you know, being like, I, you know, I kind of Irish background, right. I got red hair, pale as shit burned anytime I step outside, but I always wore sunglasses. I had the, uh, I've got the like photic sneeze, you know, gene snip where as soon as I walk outside, 
Oddly enough, that has completely gone away um, so as soon as I stopped wearing sunglasses. Uh, so that was the first thing. And I was like, what is, because what I heard was that the light coming through your eye, right? When you wear sunglasses, like that's the reason I would get burned so quickly. And if I stopped wearing sunglasses, I'd be less likely to get burned and wouldn't need to slather on sunscreen. Because I was, you know, I, I was honestly averse to being outside at that point you know after being a strength coach i think at that at that point in time 15 years or so i was always indoors and and legitimately taking stock of everything the only times i was outside was like from from the car to the building and the building to the car you know and unless i was playing baseball or golf or doing an activity um and and so that like just that whole revelation and whoever it was that that told me that I asked him, like, who was the guy that you that you heard this from? And, he, you know, he told me the name and uh, and he was like, be prepared. Like, this is a big rabbit hole. And and that I mean, that changed everything for me. You know, like now I'm I'm outside at at solar noon with no sunscreen. I have not had a sunburn uh, since I started learning any of this stuff. And, you know, I'm, I've got a for my skin complexion, I've got a decent tan. Uh, every, everything has, has changed. And, and that was, I mean, purely, purely from Jack, really, um, how, how all that stuff came from. And funny enough, when I did a a consult with him, he was familiar with Charles and knew Charles. And, and this is how I know this is where Charles was going, especially after hearing Charles talk and putting all the pieces together, um, you know, with, with Jack talking to Charles and trying to get information to Charles. Cause one of the things you can, you can always say about, Charles and I can never give him an, enough credit, uh, especially for my success. Because no, he, he, no one would be interested in anything I have to say if it wasn't for Charles. Um, is that he was always trying to get ahead? You know, he was he was always trying to get ahead of the research, and that was, I think, one of the problems with with something like biosignatures. Right? He was he was ahead of a lot of the curves on this stuff. That that again has has consistently shown. Okay, yeah, when you're when you have insulin dysfunction, you do tend to store excess fat in this region and that your hormones do have a great deal to do with that. Whereas, you know, most of those criticisms in the, were really in the late nineties, um, early 2000s when he first started teaching this stuff. Cause honestly, there was not a whole lot of research. It's like what you were just saying, like, here's, here's what we know so far. Here's what I've been able to, to corroborate with, you know, 20 years and 20,000, you know, airmen, uh, they all have these problems. When we do the blood work, they all lead to back to, you know, similar dysfunctions. And, and he was always ahead, you know, and I think that's, that's, what's been really cool with Jack is like, you look back on Jack's stuff from the 2010, 2011, and he was saying stuff back then that, you know, Huberman's now saying on his podcast and that are, that are just now becoming become pop, become popular that a lot of us were because of Jack and because of people like Charles and other realms were so far ahead of the curve. You know, they, like Charles always used to say, don't, don't wait you know, for the research to catch up to you. Like it's, it's my job being in the field to take what we currently know, test it and advance it and, and see if I'm right. And then eventually, you know, either the research is going to prove that wrong or prove it right, you know, but it's, there's no point in me waiting. Like Charles used to say, if I'd have waited, I would have missed four Olympic cycles for, you know, something he was doing in the eighties that didn't get proven in the research until I think 2014, something like that. Yeah, yeah, that's um, it's funny too. You, you you mentioned like when Jack first came out with a lot of his information around that 2010, 2011. It's the same too with that book by T.S. White. It's only the lights out. It came out like in 2000, 2001. 
And like basically the concept of that book is how like circadian disruption leads to obesity, diabetes, cancer, and depression. And she got absolutely slated for that book. Like this book, because actually it's funny too. You pick up that book and it's like 400 pages and it's a small book and you're like, well, it's kind of beefy. And literally this is no word of like half of that book. It's only a 200 page book because half the book then is all the scientific references. And, <laughs> and the, th- the thing was, she did, she did exactly what I was just talking about. There was no hard data at that time. Like what she's saying now is what, what Walker is saying now about like why we sleep and all that stuff. You know what I mean? Like right. how's, how's yeah. linked to neurological. And it's so funny. Like it's, it's the same with you. Like you've been saying so all about light going through your eye and your super nucleus and, and, uh, <laughs> and, and, and chrononutrition now eating your nutrients earlier in the day. Later. And like, it's funny, like when Jack said this, people are like scoffing at him. And then it's the same too with like why we sleep with Walker. It's like Walker says it and now like everyone takes his gospel like they do with Huberman. <laughs> but when T.S. Wiley was talking about this 20 years ago, everyone was like, she's a fucking quack. What is she talking? How is summer? Like, you know, her hypothesis that summer was a pre-hibernative strategy. Like her whole thing was basically the concept of the book is we live in perpetual summer. We have artificial light, heated homes all year round and we have carbohydrate resources available all year round as well. And you can basically eat out of season, just like Jack's whole thing with the banana, like and can right. and stuff like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> so like she was saying all this stuff back like 99, 2000. And again, she was taking papers and saying, look, if you take all this, you can, you can like come surmise this, this, this whole, like this whole evolutionary perspective on like, like she was the first person to cut. Well, the first one I, I saw where she was like, she's like, no, no, no obesity is, is, is a survival strategy. She's like, if you're obese, like you were winning back in the day, like you know, you, <laughs> she was like summertime, longer cycles, more food is available. You got fatter because you're preparing for the summer to go into ketosis. Like all this. The, the one thing though, I'm interested to get your thought on this. Like I, I do hear that a lot from people with anthropology, anthrop- I can never say that word right, anthropology or whatever you pronounce that word, <laughs> um, who have backgrounds in that. And, you know, they often talk about this, this evolution and the season, the seasonal cycles and how there was this, you know, feast famine and, you know, hot, cold and all this type of mechanisms. But like, what, like, what's the story then if you're close to the equator and you don't have those, you don't have those changes in life cycles, it's 12 hours all year round. Like, what's, this, is it, is it that it's a wet season versus dry season type thing? Or is, yeah. there, still, is there still seasonal food? Like, just, just with regards to like light, you know, like, so, because Jack obviously brought it to a deeper level than TS where Jack talks about like, the light density within foods that's why you need to eat seasonally because like if you're eating a, a food that was grown in a lighter light cycle and you're eating that during the winter when like obviously the light going to dry is giving your whole cells like well this is winter time but this food why am i eating this food why am i eating the summer food in winter like that's fucking things up so just with a 12 12 cycle is it still that there's seasonal growths in different vegetation and stuff or yeah so as you get closer to the equator it, it changes from like from a hot cold to a to a wet dry so obviously, you know, when the, when the dry season is there, there's going to be, that's your sort of scarcity season, I guess, for, you know, for growth and all that stuff. So the, the ranges of foods are, are still going to be different and, you know, where the light's going to be fairly consistent, but that, that wet, dry aspect to it is what's going to change the, the seasonality of the growth of the foods. So I suppose just delve a little bit deeper with your clients, like, I don't know about you, but like when when I like when I used to work with a lot of clients too, and when I initially started getting into more of this circadian biology and health aspect and trying to incorporate that then into clients, like I suppose 
like anything, you overwhelm clients. And then I suppose the next step on the coaching evolution ladder is a whole behavioral piece. And is, oh, fuck, I need to simplify this more. Like, you know, like low hanging fruit type thing. And you don't blow their minds with all this stuff. That's kind of uh, what I don't know if I said it to you offline or to say during this um, conversation. I think it was just before you hopped online. Like kind of, I always go back to, to check six pillars of like, all right, if you just break it down into like, how are you breathing? Can you breathe out your nose a bit more? Good. Can you sort out your sleep? Can you drink more water? Can you eat better food? Can you move your body? And can you do some mindfulness, whether that's journaling or going for a walk where you can just relax your mind? Like kind of those six pillars. Because it's there like everything you read when you, when you get into like the death zone. If you just like peel back, it's like, oh, just breathe better. You know, get good sleep, drink good quality water, eat whole food, move your body appropriately through exercise and just general movement. And like then have some mindfulness, whether you're getting that through meditative practice or you're reading good material. Um, so my basic question to you is like, what are you doing from an, uh, just an adherence standpoint? Because when you, when you start doing like, when you start talking about blood work and like this radical change to people's environments, like, oh, no artificial light, like just like obviously the more stuff you add, like adherence goes down and down and down and down where it's kind of like, <laughs> like how have you had to like, like learn that lesson of like just simple, like just this one or two big rock things. Then obviously if you get by and we can start taking it from there. Yeah, it, it's been because I get the way I learn, I, this was, I think it's why I love Jack stuff and definitely Charles as well is like, they, they always get down to the actual mechanism as, as to why this works or why you use this tempo or why you pause here or, you know, why UV light in July is different than UV light in December, right? The, the actual mechanisms. So I, in my brain, the more I understand that, the more I adhere to it. But when you're talking to a, to a client who doesn't necessarily care, like one of my, my clients who I've been training for 15 years, I was trying to explain some of the light stuff yesterday. Um, he was like, well, I've been around this light for all of my life. And it's, this is just now started. And he wears a, a continuous glucose monitor. It's like, look, just kill the lights after sunset. And then you can check it and you'll have proof. So for him, it, the blood work was good proof to get buy-in and his blood sugar this morning fasted was 10 points lower than it was, you know, before we did the, the light intervention. Fascinating. Right. And so, so that's going to get buy-in now. And this guy works for like IBM. Uh, he's an IBM executive. So there he's around tech all the time and it's just getting worse and worse for him. Um, but as far as like, for me, the, the low hanging fruit is the, is the sunrise sunset uh, aspect because, you know, what, especially being associated with Charles and, and some of the supplement companies teaching for them and everything. One of the things we always get into is first throwing a supplement at the problem. And, you know, what happens a lot of the times is people either just don't stick to the supplement schedule or they take the supplement and it may work. It may not work. It may work for a short period of time. Whereas if we start to do things like the actual sunrise and the sunset, that's where we can really start to to change lifestyle habits and not just continue to wake up and turn on your artificial lights and check your emails and then go try to eat breakfast and you take your HCL supplement because your digestion sucks. Like, okay, if we, if we can get up, go outside first thing, get a little natural light in your eye, maybe we can eventually wean off of this HCL supplement. Maybe we can not need it at all. Maybe we can improve your digestion. And for me, that's, that's what I'm, I'm at more now because the one that those changes, like we talked about earlier, like the, just killing the artificial light or getting the blue blockers at night is such an instant impact on, on how you feel, right. It, it, 
that to me gets me way more buy-in than than a 12-week supplement protocol that doesn't really yield results until a couple of weeks in you know i mean the first time i put on blue blockers i fell asleep within a half an hour and had habitually needed two hours after work to just even feel sleepy you know um so i think that stuff because honestly too that's that's the things that we can do forever right you can you can wake up and go outside and view the sunrise on vacation every day of the week you can see the sunset every day of the week whereas you may not want to travel with your supplement stack or you know do all these things and if a client isn't willing to make that minuscule lifestyle change for me all the supplements in the world you know aren't going to help that person because they're not going to change and that's what's been such a a big change with success and and some of that stuff with with what I've started doing with all the circadian biology is that we're, we're changing the lifestyle, not just adding things to the existing lifestyle that sucked to begin with, you know? You, you remind me of a conversation I heard with um, Ben Pokolsky and Phil Lerney. I don't know if you're familiar with, I'd say you're familiar with Ben. All right. But um, Phil is a, yeah, Phil's great. Oh, you know, Phil. Yeah. So Phil, he worked in UP in, um, one of Nick, one of Nick, Nick Mitchell's gyms, UP in England yeah, for a long yeah. time, but they had a maybe, maybe, you, maybe you you listen to this podcast. It was it's an old one. It's it's it goes a little while back, but um, I thought it was a very interesting conversation because it's kind of funny how you've seen Ben's evolution in that. You know, obviously Ben, very famous and and very well known bodybuilder and a great bodybuilder. Um, obviously then he would have came from the world of you know very regimented type training sets and reps and then with the nutrition it would have been very much just about you know your calories and your macros and stuff like that and then he got really into sort of obviously the more health and wellness sphere and he got into like he got into circadian biology and mitochondria and and himself and phil kind of had this discussion slash healthy argument if you like it wasn't <laughs> yeah it wasn't like there were there weren't like it wasn't like a there was no like um cynicism to it they weren't like uh berating each other but it was a very healthy conversation because I, I could i could resonate with a lot of what either was talking about in that you know so like they were talking about basically if i remember correctly it was like you know client comes and they want fat loss like and like ben was kind of like is kind of where and maybe ben would give a different answer now but i kind of got the feeling like this is where ben was now and that like he was like oh it's all about like the light exposure it's all about you know sunrise and sunset and, and you know the, the you know the 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 blue light exposure and cortisol in the morning and melatonin and getting outside and, and Phil Ernie was kind of like is that what you would do with someone who wants fat loss and he, he was going yeah that's where I get them now like and then he was like no like feels like just calories <laughs> he was just like calories in calories out get he's like to him like that was the low hanging fruit he's like that's going to get them results way quicker then got like he's like okay i get you i get you and like feels like i get you yeah, yeah. circadian biology resetting your clock that'll help you feel well but he's like that's not going to help someone like rapidly drop drop a few pounds in the first two or three like feels the thing is like, if i can get someone to drop like a stone in the first like two three four weeks he's like they're definitely bought in like now i'm like now go outside get your am sunlight you know what i mean whereas because i could resonate with ben too because i kind of came from the health and wellness like where i was i was kind of like you know delight and eat whole food and everything would be grand and people were coming back saying, I'm doing all that. Like I'm going for morning walks and I'm eating like whole food, but I'm still fat. 
because I <laughs> because because I was because I wasn't really taking the energy and energy out equation and because I was in the kind of field of like, oh, you know, like don't mind calories and calories, just eat like whole food and not take care of itself. Whereas like then when I kind of learned about like the nutritional hierarchy from like Eric Helms and 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 the guys at uh, Renaissance periodization, it's kind of like okay, energy, energy out, and macros still matter. Like they still matter. Like and that's kind of where Phil learning is that learning is like. He's like, I'm not talking. Like, Phil was like, I'm not talking to a client about circadian biology. He's like, I'm sorry. It's just, <laughs> he was like, and I, I could res it because I nearly had swung back to Phil's side of this argument. I was like, yeah, I completely agree. It's just like, listen, your low hanging fruit is you're eat, you're a fat fuck, and you just need you're, not, you're, just, you're obviously not saying that to them. But he's like, just do this right. for just do this for the first two weeks, and they're they're gonna come back and things go like they were able to do it for the first two weeks. Like, oh yeah, like. I've, like I feel, all right, they're, of course they're going to feel better because first of all, they're going from eating shitty food, they're going from overeating and being bloated all the time to eating normal meals, and it's going to be good food, and they're going to do it for the first two weeks because they're going to stay accountable and they paid money and all that, and they dr- they drink a little bit more water, so like to feel these like that's way easier because one they're going to get a tangible quicker than just saying go out there in the morning now and see sunlight and then they don't know why and what's this going to do with fat <laughs> do you know what i mean i could, I could see like the right. both sides of the coin so that's why i'm always about adherence to because like i just hear a lot of podcasts and all this like it's like intellectual masturbation people like, it's like yeah but like what do you do with your clients like there's no way you're doing that shit with your clients. like how many clients do blood work i'm not just i'm not i'm not having to go with you because i understand yeah, no I, I i understand there, there there's a certain like okay if you're coaching maybe 15 10 15 years in the field and you're kind of like listen i'm at a stage where i will not work with clientele who are below this commitment so it's like to work with me now this, these are the kind of criteria you have to meet to, to be to, to work with someone at my level as a coach. I get that. I get that. But I'm just talking about like, you know, those other coaches who basically don't train anyone, but they talk an unbelievable game. But if you went to spend, <laughs> if you went to spend a week with them, if you went and spent a week with them and saw like their consultation with clients, if they have clients to begin with and saw actually how they coach and train, you'd be unbelievably underwhelmed going, man, you talk such a good game, but, you don't put any of that shit into practice. <laughs> right. yeah, you, you, you've no idea how to distill that and put it into tangible actions that cause significant positive behavioral change into your clients. Because I've been there too. Like, like I talked a great game and I realized, right, I can't get people to adhere to this. Like I can't get people to do sunlight and I can't get people to eat seasonally. And, you know, and it was just like when I simplified it down to just like, you know, just fucking like just cal- energy and energy out and just basic calories and stuff like that like to initially to get buy-in is like right now we can set if we if we need to or want to delve deeper into this stuff we could like so like is your evolution being similar to that as well or yeah so you know i you have to if you're going to do both sides of this right you've got to understand and be very good about picking up on what someone's actually going to do right like the the guy i was just talking about that i've been training for so long you know, eats pretty damn good, uh, you know, cause he's been, he's been with me for forever. I've been doing biosignature on him. He gets consistent blood work and it's very easy to, to make small changes to him. Cause I've been training him for so long. So with him, it's like, all right, well, what's the, what are we not doing? Right. He's eating, he's eating a meat and nuts kind of Charles style breakfast. He's, you know, he's not eating like an asshole, you know, like, like I would say he's, he's his carbohydrate choices, even if out of season are quality carbohydrates. So what are, what are we doing that's, that we can change that doesn't necessarily require food changes for him? It's like, let's cut down on some of the tech and we can check that instantly with because he, fortunately he had a monitor. So with him, I was really comfortable going that way with him, even though he was already pushing. I mean, you know, 
he, I always call him my team captain, like for, for my clients, because he's always been the one that's gotten really fast results and regimented on, on everything I say. Right. And even he, he was pushing back on some of the light stuff um, because it's still so new, but yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've made the mistake of going down the light road too soon with people who either, who just weren't interested, right. Because that's definitely not what they're expecting. They've, you know, by and large, the people who come for fat loss have, have already seen someone else at some point for fat loss and like, yeah, you know, i saw this person they told me to do this. I didn't really do it or, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, and that's, you know, that's another great, uh, advantage to the biosignature tool, uh, having that tool in your toolbox is knowing where their biggest dysfunction probably is, and we can attack that. So, you know, if I take, you know, all of that stuff and, and the Braverman test, I, I have a pretty good idea of how much they're going to adhere to some of the things I say or where I should start with them. And if I need to get extra buy-in, right. If they're already wearing blue blockers because they've listened, because they listen to Huberman, right. Which is a pretty, not, not uncommon at this point. Like, all right, I don't necessarily need to go that route with this guy. I need to get him to stop eating potato chips at 10 PM, you know, and then, okay. You know, eat your breakfast outside, bam, there's a, you know, there's a, a you don't, he doesn't even know why. Right. Um, so I think you can, a lot of people now, like you said, who some of these people, like how many people did they actually work with in person or even online, <laughs> right? There's some of these people like, hey, there's no way you work with real people, right? Cause they're like, I've got some clients who don't give a shit about nutrition. They're not training with me for nutrition. They just, they're training with me. Like a lot of these guys that I've had for over 10 years, I, I have no discussion with them about nutrition because they don't care. They, you know, one of them's an emergency neurosurgeon, right? He, he stayed with me for so long because he likes that every time he asked me a question about why we're doing this or what this has to do with anything that I can give him a very solid answer. And, and he respects that and wants to work with someone who's not just pulling stuff out of his ass, you know? And, and there's a lot of clients like that. Like, I don't need to have those discussions with them. Like, Hey, <laughs> it, it took me 12 years to get this guy to have amino acids while he trains. <laughs> you know, like, like that's some low hanging fruit. He's like, man, this, I feel really good. This, this is great. <laughs> like if, if you had done that 10 years ago, where would we be now? You know? And, but there was no point in me beating that horse. Cause he, he didn't care. He wasn't going to listen. And so you've got to, you got to pick your battles, you know, and, and, and know what your low hanging fruit is for somebody. Um, because I think just you know, a lot of these guys now are, are coming at it coming at the circadian thing just to to show that they've heard it before <laughs> you know and whereas a lot of them have no fucking clue about the science to it anyway you know yeah yeah it's uh it kind of goes back to like you know meeting people where they're at i i think probably the 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 sort of the best information i've seen regarding how to sort of interact with clients in, in terms of their goals and their wants and their needs. It probably comes from James Fitzgerald, the OPEX, because one of the branches of, so OPEX model is about consultation, assessment, program design, nourishment and lifestyle, and then business in terms of your business model. They're, they're kind of five big pillars. But regardless of consultation, like their whole thing with a client is that like, if a client has a, like, first of all, you know, you have your core values in life and then, do the goals of the client sort of align to their core values? And then also do their goals align with their capability? As in like, you might have a client come to you and say like, you know, I want to do the CrossFit Games and you're kind of like, 
you're not coming out through the CrossFit Games. <laughs> yeah, <you know what laughs> right. I mean? so like there has to be yeah. that kind of realistic. Now, obviously, there's there's a way to deliver that message. I'm just being a little more blunt about it here, for time's sake. But in terms of like what what a lot of coaches do is they sort of have a hammer and everything looks like a nail. I mean that they only have one way of training people. Like, okay, well, I'm a powerlifting coach. And I train everyone through squat, bench, and deadlift, and then we just do some conditioning at the end. And that's how I train yeah. all my fat loss people and all my general pop people, you know, because that's my bias. Where it's kind of, you know, and if, if, if I'm a really hardcore original CrossFit coach, everyone's going to train with wads and high rep Olympic lifting. Whereas like OPEX are kind of like, what is this person's intention? That's their thing. Like, it, like if they come to you and say, I just want to, like, you know, age gracefully like i want to have some health span to my to my longevity it's kind of like right well then this people this person just needs like basic strength training and steady state aerobics because that will you you know because right. you, you know what i mean like it's like high days and low days and if they just do that <laughs> and they just need to go for a hike and then just enjoy their life like you know what I mean? whereas if you have someone whose intention is like for instance this goes to the conversation of sport versus health like like you have an athlete like that athlete needs to be fully aware of you do realize like like performance has massive health trade-offs you know like like <laughs> like, like, like all sports like have some biological cost in terms of longevity yeah. and like if you're a, a hardcore athlete you're like, oh yeah i don't give a fuck about my knee when i'm 80 like i want to win five olympic gold medals here like i couldn't give a <laughs> shit and like o- opex's whole thing is that once somebody is aware of the cost of doing business whether you're an athlete and you you realize that there's going to be some health sacrifice in the back end or whether you're somebody who's like, I don't want fat loss or anything. I just want to like, just, just have nice joints and healthy. And it's like the trade off there is like, you might have the best physique because you're not going to train hard for it, but you're hitting your goal in that. I just want to like function like a human for as long as possible. Like OPEX's whole thing is that, well, then there is no right or wrong. Or what they'd say is there's no judgment there. You know, it's just it's just making sure that it's appropriate what it is for that person and their their intended goals at that time, like and and again meeting that person where they're at in terms of matching it, and obviously not putting your judgment or your perspective lens on how you see reality on top of that client. So again, if you're that powerlifting coach, you're like, well, everybody has to be able to squat two and a half times body weight. I don't give a fuck who you are if you're Granny Nancy or if you're actually, are, <laughs> you know what I mean. So yeah. like their whole thing again is like, you know, meeting people where they're at, finding out why someone has a goal and it's also trying to get to like why they have that goal because like, a lot of people say they have goals and they don't really realize like oh i want to get leaner it's like well why and usually it always comes back to like self-love really isn't it? like you know why do you want a six-pack because i think if i had that i'd like myself more and i'm just telling people who are listening right now you won't i've been <laughs> i've been absolutely a fat fuck and i've been shredded and i've had fucking insecurities either way so you know what i mean yeah but uh, I just think they've got a really good model when it comes to kind of getting to that, like meeting people where they're at and, and really understanding what you know, a person's intention really with their whole sort of fitness journey. So, yeah, I think a lot of like what, what somebody in my position or, or Charles or Jack, well, not, probably not so much Jack because I don't think he really cares, <laughs> but, but like a lot of what, you'll, what you start to say the most of is really influenced by who you have to interact with, right? So the more I've started doing consultations for coaches, the more rigid I'm starting to get about, I'm not talking to you about supplements until you show me your labs, right? Because we'll get like glutathione, right? Or and, and melatonin. People are clueless and vitamin D, right? That's a hormone. People are clueless that, that, that melatonin and vitamin D are hormones that, that, you know, like you'll shit on anabolic steroids, taking testosterone, but yet you'll turn around and take a hundred thousand IUs of uh, synthetic vitamin D or melatonin, right? And 
and so that's that's why why I'm becoming more rigid, even with with my non coaching clients. Like you you need to understand, you need to see the blood work that reflects the supplements that you're 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 taking or telling people to take, right? Because you know somebody like Charles ran blood work every like six to eight ten weeks on himself and was always updating and tweaking and changing. And you know people like Jack doing biohacks, but they're testing this and testing that to to see. And we'll get people who will hear somebody talk about something like glutathione and think everyone now needs to take glutathione because, you know, oh, it, it could be great or IV, you know, IV glutathione or IV NAD. It's like, if you don't start to understand the context of who needs that, like everybody doesn't need that, right? I mean, there are some people who could do really well with taking some vitamin D at some point in time. Uh, in a, in a pill form. There's some people who could do really well to take some melatonin for a few days or a week or two, but you know, people are, are, are jumping on these things because they hear someone like Charles do a video and says, here's what glutathione will do when you take it. Well, if you're not checking these things, you don't know if you need it. You know, like I, I had no idea how much, um, how, how rapidly my, my thiamine and my vitamin K levels would rise until I tested them, you know, here's these like thiamine protocols. I'm going to, I'm going to take some, I'm going to take a poorly absorbable form of thiamine in a decent sized dose. And now, and my thiamine levels were through the roof and the same thing with vitamin K like, Oh shit, I can't, I, I need to keep an eye on that. Cause if I start taking too much vitamin K, you know, I, I couldn't do the, the finger prick blood test to, to test my vitamin D because I couldn't get enough blood out. Cause I was clotting so fast, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's a good thing. I checked that. Cause that could have been a problem if I had kept taking all that vitamin K. Um, and so that's really starting to influence because I, I, I need coaches to understand because so many of them just don't, you know, they, they, they hear the, the foundation five supplements and think everyone needs all five of those all the time. Like, no, no, they don't, you know, you, you can't blanketly assume that anymore. And we need to, we need to start thinking critically. And that's, that's what I'm, you know, really trying to harp on with all the coaches. So, I mean, with the coaches listening or with anybody that, that's interested in learning more un, until you start to know what it is you don't know, you got to be very judicious and, and much more strict about the supplements that you're going to start pushing. And what that does is it gets you better results faster. You know, like you give somebody zinc who doesn't need it. What's the point? You know, like you, you can't just assume and, and again, that's the nice part about the biosignature is, is that that takes an assumption and, and at least points that assumption in the right direction. And then we can, you know, the, the whole point with that is confirming with blood work and checking blood work to see not just body fat that yes, we do actually need this nutrient. You don't have enough of it. Let's take it. And then let's test. You don't need that anymore. You know, let's, let's, let's recheck that in six months. And I think that you know, it's definitely influencing what you hear people talk about, but the, the frustrating part, like we said earlier, it's like, you listen to some of these people talk, it's like, there's no, like, how many people do you work with actually, you know, or do you just sit around and talk about people that you might work with? Yeah. And, and it's, it's not, listen, I'm like yourself. I could sit and talk about mechanisms and the nitty gritty. It's great. I love it. I do love it. But I suppose that the more I've matured as a coach and the more I matured just as a, as a person over the years, it's really like, okay, all that is great. And I do firmly believe it's important and it's important that we, we do study it and we understand it and have discussions around it because that leads then to further investigation because it leads to more ideas being 
thrown out there and more discussion and then you know it leads to i suppose more um potential research that can be well it's not even research it's more sort of ideas we can take put into practice and then from that practice usually it then the research comes to confirm it years afterwards right but it, it just leads to evolution basically at least to, to you know more knowledge being acquired and more knowledge being brought into creation essentially so all that is good but it's just to always be aware of okay but how can this be beneficial to someone on a day-to-day basis in terms of adding quality to their life really because that that is the the sort of the sort of end game of it all so rob just for the listen we'll get you back on because there's so much more we could we could we could jam on about <laughs> but for individuals who, who are looking to reach out to you um you know about your your consultation your your consultancy services um i'd say because there could be a lot of coaches here who, who would probably love to to um, avail of that um just give us your 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 website or your social media handles where's the best way to connect with you and maybe just for that like what what are some of the services you offer is you, are you still taking on any clients is it mainly just coaches? Is it kind of coaching the coaches or do you still take private clients? Um, and then okay, your, your contact information. Yeah. So I, I still do take on private clients. Um, you know, like we said earlier, I'm, I'm based out of Atlanta uh, or in the Atlanta area, I guess around there. So still taking some one-on-one clients uh, when there's room for them. And uh, so for the coaches consulting uh, the website to, to schedule all that stuff, to, to see what the options are, are uh, is outlawstrength.com. Um, I got a lot of information on Instagram, actually probably more on Instagram than I actually have on the website. Uh, it's, uh, Robert C Jacobs. So there's a lot of, you, know, you kind of get a lot of the Easter eggs of, of what I'm talking about, what I teach with clients and, uh, the way I work with, with folks is, is prepare presentations for the consultations. So there's, you know, there's data to look at, there's references and all that, all that kind of stuff. So I don't really like to fly by the seat of my pants on that. So everything's prepared and structured and, uh, you know, basically like a, a continuing education kind of, you know, mentorship is, is how I look at the, uh, at the consults and, and hopefully giving you enough information to sort of teach you how to fish as a coach and then continuing that process. Sweet. And I'll, I'll put all that into the show notes so people can just head straight there and then look at your website and then the, the social media. And uh, yeah, I've been on your Instagram and I have to say, I was very impressed with some of the posts. I, I try not to be on Instagram too much. <laughs> because <laughs> there is a lot of bullshit to filter through like anything else but uh yeah no it was it is quite good and i'll definitely have that linked up so rob listen pleasure to discuss and no doubt we'll, we'll have further discussions in the future yeah thanks for having me man uh, i'll say goodbye to you offline but for everyone else listening until next time take care be well and stay strong